Hello and welcome to Endurance Minded. It's the podcast that aims to redefine what it means to be an athlete by exploring how movement impacts our lives and how we can all work to reach our full potential. I'm your host, Taylor Thomas, founder and coach at TEC. And on this episode, I speak with Dr. Robert Wolf from The Amino Company. Before we dive into this episode, I wanna say that if you are interested in nutrition, if you're interested in um, conversations around protein, supplementation, amino acid profiling, um, around how those things impact your performance, whether it be strength training, endurance sports, running, swimming, cycling, this is your episode. We go into the nitty gritty of all of these types of things. Dr. Robert Wolf has been in this space for 50 years and we dive into the details. So if you want to nerd out on what it looks like to think about different types of supplementation, how that impacts performance, um, how that impacts longevity, aging, um, if you are a female and you are interested in how these things impact you as it relates to pre and post menopause, um, we go into all of these details. So. A little bit of background on Dr. Robert Wolf. First and foremost, um, extensive history and background in sport in general. He has done everything and has been massively uh, proficient at everything he has done. Uh, let's start with the fact that he lettered in both uh, or basketball, track, and golf uh, in college at Cal Ber- Berkeley. He went on to actually be drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Um, he has uh, ran 62 marathons in under two hours and 30 minutes. He has ran over 70 marathons. Those 62 marathons that were sub 230 were over the course of 30 years. So this guy knows about longevity. He knows about discipline and consistency and what it takes to continue to excel and perform as you age, as you change, as you're busy. Um, so on and so forth. He takes his experience um, in graduate school where he worked with burn unit patients. He applies that, um, what he learned in, in the recovery process of those patients and what it took for them to come back stronger. Um, and he applies that in his work um, in, uh, in the professional space. He goes on to Harvard Medical. Um, his, um, his accolades go on and on, but the key takeaway here is that at a very early age, um, he began to, to think about what does it look like to help individuals um, perform at their best. It started in the medical space where he was working with uh, kids that were in the burn trauma center, went on to work with the nutrition committee um, for the Olympics. He worked for, um, for U.S. Swim, where he um, played a critical role in helping uh, the swim organization think about how they, uh, how they structure nutrition and performance and optimization. And we go on to talk about, um, really again, the nuts and bolts of performance um, as it relates to, to protein muscle synthesis, um, to amino acid profiles, um, and what this looks like. Um, His work ultimately led him to founding the Amino Company. Um, These guys uh, are a sponsor of the podcast because it's something that I believe in and I've seen work for me. Um, So the two primary products that I've worked with are their Perform and Heal. We talk about those and why they were formulated, what they're meant to do, the problem that they are designed to solve as it relates to uh, to athlete performance. And so I just want to encourage everyone to really sit with this one. Um, this is uh, this is really rich content. Um, we get into a lot of the science um, because of course, Dr. Wolf is able to bring a very, very high level of expertise and competency in this space that we often don't get the opportunity to have on this show. So it was a voice that I was very excited uh, to, to have. It's, he's an individual uh, that I admire and uh, was certainly uh, honored to have the opportunity to speak with him. 
but I, I'd encourage you to just, just sit with this one. Um, maybe even uh, carry a notepad, right? Pull your phone out, take notes. Um, there's a lot of depth in here. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of tangential components, pieces that we tie together, no matter where you're coming from, whether it's just health and longevity, whether you're coming from the endurance athlete space, whether you're thinking about things uh, from a strength training perspective, uh, both as a, as a standalone discipline as well as a supplement um, to your endurance sports discipline. Lots and lots of depth and breadth here um, as, we, as we go through both Dr. Robert Wolf's history, his personal journey uh, as an athlete, and then into uh, his medical research, and ultimately up to the current day, uh, developing the AminoCo and uh, helping individuals um, optimize their performance. So this is a really, really cool episode, one that I'm excited to be able to present to everyone. And, uh, and I hope you'll let us know um, what you think about it. If you've enjoyed uh, this, this type of content, again, it was, uh, it was something that I thoroughly enjoyed and loved getting the opportunity to, uh, to break into this space and have these types of rich conversations um, through the lens of a, of a more scientific background. So as always, um, let us know what you think at enduranceminded.com. Um, if we can be a part of your journey, if we can help you wade through the highs and lows of, uh, of your athletic journey, we would love to do that. Enduranceminded.com, scroll to the bottom, leave us a comment, let us know what's going on, what works, what doesn't, what resonates, what you thought about this episode, as always, um, rate, subscribe, and share. Um, if you haven't had a chance to do that, that is the lifeblood of podcasting. So I will always ask and I will always appreciate anyone who takes just two seconds uh, to rate, subscribe, and share an episode with a friend. I can't thank you enough for those that have already done that. If you haven't had a chance to do it, please do so. Rate the podcast. Let us know what you think. Subscribe. A uh, new episode drops every other Tuesday at noon and share your favorite episode with a friend. And thomasendurancecoaching.com. Um, tons and tons of amazing opportunities coming um, this spring and summer at TEC. We are making a massive push um, to develop a really robust and exciting community uh, within TEC. We have lots of different programs launching lots of different opportunities for athletes to engage with one another as well as uh, as our coaching team and so if uh, if that's something that you're looking for if you feel like you're out there on your own you're not sure where to turn you need a community to tap into uh, let us be a part of that for you I'm really excited about this um, this this push that we're making within TEC uh, to not only provide world-class coaching services and build massively impactful relationships with athletes, but also facilitate a community that is supportive and comprehensive and robust and just adds to that experience. So it's only going to get better, and, uh, and I'm excited uh, to see where this community takes us um, and where the shared experience of being an athlete um, adds value to all of our lives, because that's really what it's all about right? It's all about experiences. It's all about the journey. Uh, it's all about continuing to show up for ourselves and tap into our full potential every single day. And what better way to do that than to do it with others and to share in those experiences uh, and those wins with, uh, with those that are, um, that are focused on similar goals. So again, that's thomasendurancecoaching.com. You can always click in the top right-hand corner to speak with a coach and um, we're here to help uh, any way we can. If you're like me, you know how important it is to fuel your activities and ensure you're recovering properly in between workouts. That's where the Amino Company comes in. With their products, Heal and Perform, I'm able to access sustained energy and increased power output during my workouts, as well as recover faster and more efficiently. I use Heal for recovery. It's a 100% science-backed formula that was originally developed for astronauts to maintain muscle mass in space. Taking Heal after my training has allowed me to increase my recovery and decrease soreness, making my body feel stronger and healthier overall. This patented science-backed amino acid blend is designed to replenish your sore muscles after tough workouts. Heal's great for post-workout nutrition and is scientifically more than three times more efficient at triggering muscle growth and repair than any other protein source. 
Perform is my go-to for before and during training sessions. Perform has been scientifically proven to improve muscle performance, reduce fatigue and recovery times, and increase the benefits from your workouts. Perform is formulated to minimize muscle breakdown during exercise and maximize muscle growth after exercise. Since taking Perform, I've seen increases in my maximal strength in the gym as well as feel the benefits during endurance training. It provides sustained and lasting energy throughout my day without any crash or harmful side effects. I've been using Perform and Heal from the Amino Company daily and I've seen huge improvements in both my performance and recovery. As a business owner and athlete, I'm beyond excited to have found something that helps me get the most out of my training and recovery so that I can maximize my precious training time. So right now, when you visit aminoco.com backslash EM30 and use the discount code EM30 at checkout, you get 30% off. So if you're looking to take your recovery to the next level and try science-backed products designed to boost your performance by up to three times, then visit aminoco.com backslash EM30 and use the discount code EM30, that's EM30 at checkout, to get 30% off plus a free gift with purchase. That's aminoco.com backslash EM30. Use offer code EM30 at checkout. Hey, Dr. Wolf. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So there's um, any number of directions we can go in terms of our shared interest and uh, I'm sure what expertise and information you'll bring to our audience. But one of the things that struck me is, uh, is your background. You have a really uh, long and deep background in uh, endurance sports and, and uh, lots of different activities yourself as an athlete. And maybe just start there, maybe, maybe most specifically or, or most intriguing is you're actually drafted by the, uh, the Golden State Warriors. So you you're, uh, seem to be a heck of a basketball player. What, uh, walk, walk us through what it looked like for you as an athlete at a younger age. Well, you know, it's a different time where you didn't just spend every minute of your life uh, uh, playing one particular sport. So I was just played everything. But my main interest was always basketball. And uh, as I was growing up, I grew up in Oakland, which is right next to Berkeley. And, and in the days I was growing up, the Cal basketball won the NCAA championship one year and was second the next year. And, and interestingly, actually, sort of historically, uh, when Pete Newell, who was the coach when I went there, uh, was the coach at Cal, he never lost to John Wooden at UCLA in, the, in their whole history of playing. So, so it was a big deal in the Bay Area, and I, I really spent all my waking hours dreaming of being a basketball player and never really, uh, never really uh, thought about other sports much. But, uh, but I, I was fortunate that my parents liked to play golf, so I went out and played golf with them now and then, enough to learn how to play. And, uh, and, and I got interested in track purely sort of uh, serendipitously because uh, – when I got into high school, ninth grade, in those days we had uh, the uh, John Kennedy Challenge. He was the president at the time, and, and you had to pass a certain level of fitness uh, to be able to move on to the next grade. And one of those tests was running a mile for time, which I had never ever tried to run a mile for time, uh, run a mile for anything. <laughs> and uh, uh, so... Uh, you know, it just happened that I had a natural aptitude for it. I think I was about 450 or so the first, uh, when I tried this mile without any training. And so I got dragged into the cross-country team, which I thought would be good for basketball endurance, which is really the only reason I was doing the endurance running at that time, and then track as well. So I played uh, basketball was the main thing, but we had a, a real limitation in the season's length in those days. So you could only uh, play basketball between, I think it was like October through May, through March or something. And then there was no other organized basketball. So, so I got involved in track pretty seriously as well and uh, continued to do those sports and, and was fortunate to get quite a few college scholarship offers. But my dream had always been to play at Cal. So that's where I went and uh, had a good career there. And uh as I said, I was drafted by the Warriors, but I also uh, 
participated on the track team for two years. And uh, that was, uh, I, I enjoyed it, but uh, it was really tough because college basketball is a lot more demanding than high school basketball. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be turning out for, and I was running the 400, 800, well, it was 880 and 440 yards in those days. And it was really a challenge to uh, uh, compete at an intercollegiate level with the just basketball background coming into the track season. And uh, I had kept up the golf as well, so that uh, after my sophomore year of track, where I realized I had just hit my peak, I, I was really not ever going to make you know, track, you hit, you hit your best time. And then it's just like, that's kind of what you do. And, uh, so I decided to go out for the golf team after basketball and it was able to make the golf team. So it's kind of a really unusual, uh, history there of lettering in three different sports at a, at a division one college. So, uh, I was pretty proud of that. I think I'm the only person that's done that since in the last 50 years at Cal. So, uh, diversity is more my uh, claim to fame than uh, uh, being great at any one. But yeah. then, you know, once I was through competing, I got interested. I started grad school and a fellow grad student was <laughs> just finished running a marathon. And I got really interested in, in running. And, uh, you know, I just took it from there. I started running with him. And then I was in Santa Barbara, which was really uh, a great place for running in those days. And you know, I just got into distance running, and that really became my passion for the rest of my life, really, up until the present day. So, uh, you know, most of the time I've spent, you know, my, my real focus was basketball, but but really the time and energy I put into running has made it the, the main thing in my life. Yeah. What, uh, you know, there's so much specificity now, and, and so many folks are kind of scared to stray in any particular direction away from their, you know, whatever their primary focus is, be it, you know, be it golf or be it running or, or whatever. What was it that, that kind of kept you interested and kept you able to be able to do all these different things? And, you know, and obviously that, you know, stuck with you for the, you know, up until, like you said, up until currently, but that's such a different approach than most people take. What, what was it that, that kept that excitement and kept that ability alive? I guess I just have always loved sports. You know, I, I, uh, I, I think it, it really was a different time. You know, I, I think that it'd be tough to any, any basketball team in the sixties when I played would really have a big challenge to play with the current day players. You know, it, it just wasn't as serious a, a thing. It was, it was, uh, serious, but it was, you know, you didn't have a private coach, you didn't have workouts in the off season and so forth. So that that left time between the seasons to do other things. And I just uh, love sports and tried everything. But uh, I try I, I uh, there was really probably no sport I didn't try, but you have a natural affinity to certain things that you're better at than other things. So that's kind of dictated the direction I went. But uh, yeah, I think it's a real shame nowadays, really, because kids spend so much time on one particular sport. My son played uh, baseball, and uh, he, he also loved golf. And, you know, he was forced to make a choice between one or the other that it just in high school, that it was just, uh, you know, too much, too demanding to play baseball all year long and with lessons and everything. And the golf swing was a little different than the baseball swing. And, you know, it's just... Uh, really a shame because with these organized sports as much fun as they are and as much as we get out of them by and large once you're finished with them that's it there's not you know you can't go out and play and find a group to play hardball with unless you're really playing it uh uh, uh actively so uh, uh i think I, I really tended to to move towards the individual sports and uh you know the both the running and golfing you can do by yourself and i think that was one of the major appeals to me yeah so you've you've ran. Uh, you said you picked up endurance running uh, in graduate school, and you've I know you've stayed you know very active in the endurance running space. It, what was it? You, you've ran over sixty marathons, is it? I believe. Yeah, well, probably about seventy. I've run sixty-two under two hours and thirty minutes. So that's again sort of my claim to fame is uh, uh, sticking with it for a long time. I never was a world-class runner, but. Uh, uh, I love doing it and I trained hard. And so I was able to be pretty consistent in what I did. And 
So I'm pretty proud of the fact that I was running uh, under 230 for over 30 years. Yeah, that's quick. There's a lot of people that would kill to run sub 230. <laughs> um, what, what, what about it kept you... What what kept you excited? What kept you coming back for more, you know, for, for all those marathons and all those years? I think the key thing was uh, the first time I ran Boston Marathon, it was 104 degrees. And uh, mm. I was really suffering. And that that was in 1976. And, the, and that was the race they called the Run for the Hoses because uh, everybody was running into people's gardens to get their hose because uh, <laughs> if you can believe it nowadays, you wouldn't think it possible, but they had no water stops on the course whatsoever for a marathon and 100, and the race starts at noon, so 104 degrees. And at one point, I ran by a golf course, and I was looking at the guys playing golf, and I think, why am I doing that? That looks like a lot more fun than this. And, <laughs> uh, so, and in fact, when I finished the race, I was just so wiped out uh, that I thought, man, I'm never doing another marathon. And then Finally, after about a month, I started running again, and I realized that, uh, you know, the answer to the question is I just never thought about it again. It's like, I know that if I ask myself, why am I doing this? I won't find a very good answer. So I'm just <laughs> going to accept the fact that this is what I do. Right. And, uh, you know, never challenge myself mentally again. It's like I, I get up in the morning, I do a workout, or I, for years I ran to work and ran home from work. And, uh, you know, I, I just never questioned why I was doing it. I just, that was just part of my lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, I think that touches on something that's, that's so important for so many people or so many people maybe struggle to develop is, is just that discipline component. You know, so often people look for, we, we look for motivation and, you know, and when it's not there, we wonder why we're doing it or if it's worth it or if it matters. And, you know, what you, what you sounds to me like what you developed is just a very strong level of discipline that got you, you know, you, you woke up and you knew it was important. You knew being healthy was important. So, so you did it, you know, and you didn't really think too much about whether it was, you know, how, how you felt about it or is that, is that feel, am I, am I, uh, am I capturing it or, or am no, I that's exactly, that's exactly it. You know, it's just, uh, uh, I, and particularly developed that when I lived in Boston because there were so many days during the winter where the weather was just horrible and I was running mm -hmm. to work. And I realized that if I skipped one day because of the weather, then it'd be like two months till I ran again because the weather was lousy every day. And, you know, right. it, it's, it was a level of fanaticism, I guess, but I, I wore, um, you know, in the, in the winter up there, they, they uh, salt the streets. So you're running in slush and to keep my feet from freezing, I would put uh, baggies over my socks and tape them closed so that my feet wouldn't get wet <laughs> going through the slosh. And I carry uh, ski goggles with me in case it started snowing or sleeting so I could see where I was going. And, you know, people thought I was crazy. But, uh, you know, I was just knew myself well enough to know that once I started skipping them, uh, skipping workouts or skipping runs, that I that it'd be easy to keep doing that. So I just... Uh, just uh, never gave it a thought. I just uh, got up and did it and headed off to work. There always was a, you know, I had to get to work and there was always a time at work where I'd rather run home than stay at work any longer. So uh, <laughs> you know, that was kind of the two uh, motivating factors. Yeah. I, I, I always say, you know, if you wait around for the perfect day, you're going to be waiting a long time. You know, and I think we, <laughs> yeah. I think we tend to as athletes, you know, we imagine perfect scenarios, perfect day. We feel the right, you know, we have the perfect, yeah. you know, diet and, and, and in all actuality, you just kind of have to get up and do it, you know, and, and then yeah, you know, exactly. that's, that's, that's what creates those perfect scenarios is that you stick with it long enough to, to see it through. Yeah. And you really, yeah. I, I, the thing is when you plow through anything, when you get those beautiful days or you're on a trip and you just have a beautiful running track or something, it's just, uh, you appreciate it about 10 times more, I think, that it's so much better than what your normal is. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so so then let's go on from your early work in at, at uh, Cal Berkeley and then uh, graduate school. Was, was, was that when you started to get into um, or, or when did you start to get into your research and interest in um, – in, in, in fueling and in, in amino acid work and, and, you know, thinking about the supplementation space. 
that really started as a as a as a very junior faculty member when I left uh, uh, grad school. I went to Harvard Medical School and and uh, worked at uh, one of the affiliated hospitals and uh, which is the Shriners Hospital for Burned Children. And so it was a kind of a complete pivot from what I had been doing in, in graduate school. But uh, but the uh, major problems that uh, hindered the recovery for these little kids from major burns. And, uh, and the average burn size at the hospital is 70% third degree burns in children. So it's you know, really crippling burns. And uh, the, the major limitation they had in recovery really revolved around nutrition and metabolism. And mm-hmm. so that's where I realized that this is the area that I wanted to get into. And, and, and particularly because there with a direct interaction with the clinic, I was able to see real rapid increase in improvement to where uh, the uh, survival rate improved from 40% to 90% with a uh, uh, 50% third degree burn over a period of several years. And, and that was largely related to energy metabolism. And, and so, uh, you know, the, the, those early years, I spent most of my time focused on uh, on serious injury, not just in the burned children, but in, in other forms of stress, surgery, and critical care, and so forth. But uh, but the thing that really got me going on that protein metabolism and exercise was as we started getting this major improvement in survival, these kids were losing so much muscle in the context of the response to uh, the severe injury that they were so debilitated that even though they were recovered, they couldn't participate in in uh, recess or playground activities, much less any kind of physical sport because they had just lost so much muscle. So I really turned my focus to uh, the rehab state of these burned kids and and how to uh, augment their normal nutrition to be able to stimulate uh, regrowth of muscle tissue and to enable them to function. And of course that led laterally to all sorts of different applications with uh, uh, circumstances where muscle loss was important or just high performance and uh, muscle capacity became interesting. So that that was kind of the background that, that led me into it. And I realized that there was really very little known about protein metabolism and protein nutrition and sports in those days. Uh, that's a long time ago. And, uh, and so you know, it's really appealing to me to, to start to kind of uh, forge new ground in an area that I really had a personal interest in as well. I was going to ask if that if if that lateral move was brought on or spurred by your personal, you know, passion and interest in in in, in running, or did you just see an opportunity there? It was it came on as a result uh, yeah. of a real need, um, or was it kind of you know? that personal passion drove some of that interest as well. Yeah, uh, definitely my personal interests uh, fed into it. And and one of the things that I, as I started realizing, as I started really uh, trying to focus on uh, improving performance, initially just in the kids, but in my own activity, own running as well, uh, I remember going to the uh, sports medicine meeting and I had a specific question of mine that was entirely related to myself. And that was, is it better to run two workouts a day or one workout a day? And uh, if you're total mileage, is it, is it just total mileage or can you, uh, uh, should you be doing intervals? And, I, you know, all sorts of questions that nowadays we have plenty of sources to uh, look to for advice. But in those days, nobody really knew much about it. But I figured, well, the sports medicine meeting is the place to go. And the thing I found was that, Really, and I say this clear to the to, to the current day, that the guys in the gym and the guys actually doing the workouts knew seen to knew more than the doctors that weren't actually participating in sports. Right. And so, you know, from there on, I was just embraced the fact that that I had it was sort of my own laboratory, as in addition to uh, you know being interested in the science, because I think that uh, everything I did always had the end goal of actually improving performance and uh and uh of course i was interested in that myself so you know the two things really worked i've really been fortunate to have a career working in an area that really is my hobby so uh you know really the two things played together really well 
you've said that the athletes are are ahead of the scientists oftentimes or or maybe maybe even at all times and it sounds like you're you're kind of touching on that here but what you know maybe specifically what what do you how do you see that manifest itself i mean how how are well, the I, I can give a perfect i can give a perfect example of that i was on the uh, nutrition committee of the international olympic committee and we were charged with coming up with the uh, optimal level of intake for different sports and uh there was quite a, a disagreement when it came to resistance ex- resistance sports like uh shot putting uh power sports Mm-hmm. Because uh, one of the things that we know, I've uh, known for a long time about resistance exercise is that it makes the protein in your body and your muscles more effective in turning whatever nutrition you take into muscle protein. So that, so that there was an argument that you uh, really didn't need as much protein if you were doing weightlifting or doing power sports because you would be more efficient at converting the protein, dietary protein into muscle protein so that wouldn't do, it, do anything. And I, I knew that uh, uh, enough from my track background and seeing power lifters and stuff that, that we would be laughed at if we came to the conclusion that, that to build power and muscle, you needed less protein intake. And that was really kind of a motivation for me to start looking at the uh, role of dietary protein and building muscle because it just seemed like uh, everyone that involved in power sports knew that you need extra protein and extra calories to build muscle mass and function but uh you know the 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 experts were telling us that you really only needed to have a reduced level of protein and take below the minimal daily requirement and uh i I think that's a perfect example where of course the guys in the gym knew better than the scientists because uh i don't think there's anybody that would challenge the fact that if you're trying to uh throw the shot put as far as you can that you want to build muscle up with uh weight lifting not uh not uh uh you know cut back on your dietary protein right so if we maybe back up a a, a little bit outside of the the burn unit patients how did you start to implement this this research i mean you know you said you identified Yes, we need more protein. You're on the Olympic Committee. You're starting to put these pieces together. At what point did the rubber meet the road, so to speak, in terms of, you know, were you giving this to athletes? Were you prescribing different approaches to nutrition? How, well, did, how did that actually the, start to take hold? Yeah, the, the, the real piece that we haven't discussed in there was how do you determine requirements or optimal uh profiles of amino acids or anything in human people. Uh, And I spent many years developing a method which we call stable isotope tracer methodology, which was an approach that enabled us to quantify metabolic reactions, including muscle protein synthesis and breakdown. And and we know that muscle is constantly being produced and broken down, but, but exactly how that played into muscle growth and muscle performance was only known from what happened in mice and rats. And, and we were able to quantify how fast amino acids, different amino acids are transported into muscle, how, much, how fast they're oxidized, and every aspect of muscle protein metabolism. And that was really uh, originally designed for the uh, application in the burned children. But of course, we were able to move laterally to all sorts of conditions so that uh, so uh, the initial focus was of my work was much more on what are the metabolic requirements of uh, different types of, of sports. And uh, using these tracer methods, we're able to actually quantify uh, different rates of meta- metabolic reactions in the body and then start developing uh, an appreciation for the effect of different circumstances like aging or or uh, resistance exercise versus uh, endurance exercise. One of the major sponsors of my early work was in spaceflight uh, by NASA, where uh, the uh, astronauts lost a lot of uh, muscle due to uh, the effect of gravitational uh, force being so reduced. And uh, coming up with uh, different approaches in these different circumstances to uh, 
define optimal levels of nutrition in general sense, but also it became evident that just dietary protein alone would not be as effective as specifically tailored uh, amino acid supplements that would exactly target the metabolic condition that they were designed for. Hmm. So, so with astronauts, was the goal, the goal was to supplement so that they would maintain muscle mass or, or yeah. what was the prescriptive component? The, I mean, how, how did that? The goal, the goal was to maintain muscle mass and function as well as possible in the absence of any kind of resistance exercise. And right. uh, what we did was uh, uh, we did do uh, an actual study in uh, space flight, but most of the work was done in, in a simulation of the loss of muscle that occurs in space flight by putting subjects in absolute bed rest 24 hours a day for a month and uh, the loss of muscle and that lack of exercise was very comparable to what we saw in space so that uh, uh, the, the, the problem with uh, the nutritional maintenance of, of muscle mass and function for astronauts was that uh, every gram counts that they put on a uh, rocket mm. and so to just say well we're going to increase protein well that that also brings along a lot of other components to it. So the goal was to come up with a formulation that maximized effectiveness with the least amount of weight and uh, uh, extraneous things that weren't really crucial for their nutrition. And that's where really the whole origin of the notion of, of coming up with a, a formulations that had very uh, targeted but uh, uh, effectiveness so that you wouldn't need to eat a big pile of it that would weight down the uh, uh, space flight. And, and it turned out that that was really useful in other circumstances uh, and, and, and in the aging and, and even the recovering burned children. There's just a limit to how much supplement they want to take as a regular part of their diet and having it be the greatest bang for the buck, so to speak, really is... Uh, an important aspect, I think, in, in a nutritional supplement in any circumstance. So we kind of moved laterally from the rationale required by NASA to other circumstances where we wanted to target exactly what are the optimal nutrients and not worry about uh, uh, having to provide other things that weren't going to be that targeted. Yeah. So how did you go from NASA to application maybe back into endurance sports what was the bridge that that took that those findings you know or, or was that a space you were always just involved in because yeah. of your your personal interests now uh that one of the findings for the nasa study uh was that the higher essential amino acid supplement uh improved muscle strength and function without having a big impact in muscle mass. And that the way in which this accomplished that was that, that it actually made the single muscle fibers more effective. So that uh, biopsies were taken from these uh, uh, guys that are in the subjects and, and our colleague Bob Fitz and, and Marquette was able to isolate the individual muscle fibers and in a blinded way assess how well they were working and found that those that had gotten the essential amino acid supplements, uh, the muscle fibers were much more effectively working, even though they weren't any bigger. And, uh, and, and so this was a fundamental discovery with regard to how nutrition and resistance exercise can benefit endurance sports because the muscle protein is constantly being broken down and resynthesized. And, and what, the, what these single fiber studies showed was that that the older, less effective uh, muscle fibers were being broken down and being replaced by new fibers that function better. And this increased muscle protein turnover didn't involve necessarily any increase in muscle mass, but that it did increase the uh, functionality of muscle. And so with my interest in distance running, the, uh, the extension to that to distance running was evident that, that uh, that really what we're accomplishing with distance training is improving the muscle quality by breaking down the muscle fibers that aren't really working so well and replacing them with newer, better functioning fibers. And that that's a fundamental metabolic uh, response to exercise training, endurance training, which we can augment with appropriate 
stimulation with the essential amino acids in a particular ratio for uh, maximizing muscle protein production. So is that is that the expectation, or you know, from an athlete perspective, is is that where the importance of an appropriate amino acid profile comes in? You know, because I, I so many athletes, you know, specifically on the endurance side of things, we we hear all kinds of mixed studies and reviews and and opinions about protein and how it should be used and you know of course we see protein in the resistance training space and then endurance athletes are worried about getting bulky or you know they worry that you know they're they're trying to balance all these things is is that where they should turn when it comes to the importance or is that where you see the importance of of you know protein and you know having the appropriate amino acid you know complex yeah i think that uh, it's important to understand the distinction between muscle growth and muscle function. Uh, muscle size is certainly a factor, but muscle quality is also a factor. Uh, to build muscle size, you really need more than just increased dietary protein and exercise. You need extra calories as well. Mm-hmm. You really need to exceed caloric requirement to provide the fuel to build new muscle and by virtue of that, you're going to bulk up. Uh, it turns out that with a very low calorie targeted amino acid formulation, you can stimulate the muscle protein turnover and improve muscle quality without the bulking component. And that's where the distinction between the uh, uh, two circumstances, the uh, endurance and resistance. And in fact, uh, you know, I have different formulations specifically designed for endurance athletes much more so than uh, building muscle mass because uh, the low calorie is a crucial aspect of improving muscle quality without a corresponding change in, in muscle bulk. Where And believe me, being, weighing 200 pounds myself, granted I was 6'5", but at 200 pounds, I always was uh, aware of the problem with mus- muscle bulk and endurance uh, sports. And, uh, you know, I try, and, and it's just... Uh, uh, an important point, though, that you can build muscle pull, muscle uh, quality without improving muscle bu- increasing muscle bulk, and that's where I think most people in, that are in endurance sports are a little confused by all the literature because quite often, if you're going to increase your protein intake, dietary protein intake, you're going to have a corresponding increase in calories. If you're eating more meat, you're going to have more fat. Uh, even with plant-based proteins, you're still going to have a lot of carbs that are above and beyond what may be your actual caloric requirement. And so uh, that was the second aspect, for particularly for endurance sports, that we wanted, and, and for older adults, that we provide a stimulation for the muscle quality without any extra caloric uh, require, uh, component that's going to increase muscle or even body weight. That's such a great distinction to make. I'm glad you elaborate on that because i know in in my experience with endurance athletes that's so often you know where the conversation goes is a concern about body composition and how you know supplementation diet and then ultimately even you know resistance training alone you know how that's going to impact um their ability to maintain you know the body composition they want or be able to to maintain um you know, the power output or, or whatever in their primary discipline. What's been your experience with, with, you know, strength training or resistance training as it relates to its, its usage in the endurance sports space? Cause it sounds like, you know, you've been looking at different subjects involved yeah. in different. Well, that's so a great question. How, and, you know, in my lifetime, it's been a, a huge change and, thought about the two. Uh, in fact, um, even in basketball, when I was in uh, early days, uh, there was concern about if you lifted weights, you get too bulky and uh, you wouldn't be as flexible. But the area that I'm really most familiar with is swimming. And I worked as a consultant for U.S. Swimming for 20 years. And, uh, you know, it used to be that you never wanted to uh, lift weights because you didn't want to build up the bulk. 
And what what evolved as people started doing weightlifting, they, the realization that they were improving their muscle quality without really getting uh, that much bigger. And the reason is because they're burning so many calories. We did a study that showed in the Olympic uh, women's uh, distance team that they were using over 5,000 calories a day and they were, you know, yeah. girls, they weren't uh, uh, big, heavy men. So that they're using so many calories that uh, even with heavy weightlifting as a component, as a component of the uh, exercise that, uh, that it really wasn't building excessive body weight because they're burning so many calories that they didn't really have excess calories to, uh, to, to put on muscle mass, but that protein, that, that the uh, muscle quality could be improved. And certainly now worldwide, uh, weightlifting is an essential component of, of swimming training and nobody would uh, be able to compete if they didn't do uh, weightlifting. I think, I think running is a, a little bit different story. I think that uh, I remember years ago uh, saying that question in, in a uh, uh, article addressed by Jeff Galloway, who was a great runner back in the 70s and then became uh, a, a real uh, noted uh, writer about endurance sports. And someone wrote in, Can I, what resistance exercises should I do? What weightlifting should I do? And his response was, well, it probably won't hurt you too much if you do it. But, uh, but fundamentally, you know, if you look at the starting line of most marathons, the guys in the front are not looking like they've got a lot of extra muscle. <laughs> Right. In fact, you wonder how do they have enough muscle to even propel themselves forward? Yeah. So the muscle mass is a, a real issue. But there again, uh, you can improve your muscle quality. Absolutely. Both with muscle, uh, with weightlifting as well as uh, the uh, uh, amino acid intake. But the, the, I think the things that we've learned more about weightlifting is that different approaches to weightlifting will... Uh, result in different responses so that uh, exercises targeting muscle growth per se or in terms of the number of reps and uh, intensity uh, can be different than weightlifting exercises that you need to have sport uh, endurance and in particular I always found it useful to do uh, shoulder and uh, chest particularly shoulder and neck exercises because with the uh, long runs how the uh the arms just start getting so heavy and uh, uh yeah that, that that it really helped quite a bit to do curls and uh uh shoulder presses and and uh you know fly pulls to uh maintain muscle mass in the shoulders with endurance and muscle quality so that you're able to uh to not have that be a weak point in a long run right yeah as runners oftentimes we we forget the, the the importance of the arm carriage you know and, and yeah. maintaining form and and then the fatigue that that comes with that is you know form diminishes or the upper body fatigues um yeah i think that's i mean again i just love that point the, the muscle quality component i, I think that's i just want to say that again for everyone to to hear because i think that's such a strong point um to be able to to you know not worry about or not focus on the bulk piece you know strength training uh or supplementation doesn't have to to equate uh to to bulk and that's such a important takeaway for, yeah. for endurance athletes so then take me through what what led to so obviously you know lots of work with different organizations everything from nasa to the olympic committee where where did uh the amino company come in um what led yeah. to, well, to, to that yeah uh one of the things i realized uh working at the shriners which is <coughs> tremendous philanthropy uh but there was one problem and that was that they didn't allow you to patent anything mm. because they felt that uh uh whatever work was done there should just be available to the world in general but what I found as I started developing these different formulations was that actually nobody was using them because they weren't available. And I'd give talks about this and that, you know, aspect of one formulation versus another. And people would ask, where do you get it? And I said, well, actually it's not available. And uh, 
So that to really translate to anything useful, it has to be able to be, you know, put on the kitchen table and drink uh, or eat or whatever this format of the uh, supplement is. So that that's where I really started uh, uh, approaching how to uh, translate this basic research into something that actually would be of value to people. And, you know, that was where the whole process started. And then uh, kind of as focused, uh, the amino company then was able to uh, enable us to focus more on actual dietary supplements. The uh, work done in, within the context of the university and the medical school and so forth was all very much related to mechanisms and molecular control and so forth but not so much to the actual implementation or translation to a format that people could really use. And that's where the amino company came in. And, and we've had research grants that are specifically promoting development of products that are effective and, and tested and actually palatable and affordable and, and targeting specific uh, needs that uh, really isn't that feasible to do within the context of the medical school. So I would, uh, uh, reduced my effort at the medical school to 30% and, and increased my effort with the company in order to develop products that uh, were patentable and that uh, provided uh, nutrition in a format that would actually be useful to people. I know there's, there's, there's different products in the amino company, but the ones that I've had the most experience with have been the, the heal uh, and the perform. Um, can you give me a little background or, or just a little um, you know, insight into what those are for? Because it sounds like those pull from the bulk of your research on the, on the healing side as well as the, the performance side. But what's your take on, on you know, what those can really do for, for endurance athletes and individuals at yeah. large? Well, we talked a lot about you know, having a routine and, and how important consistency is. And that's one of the things I, mean, I probably went through 20 research, uh, running partners over my career of people that were really <laughs> enthusiastic and then kind of fizzled out. Right. So it's always been a real uh, target of mine to how, how can I devise something that would really help people get into their workout every day. And that's really the goal of the PERFORM. It's formulated so that the amino acids that are precursors of the key neurotransmitters in the brain, dopamine and serotonin are maximized. So the dopamine is the excitatory neurotransmitter, primary excitatory neurotransmitter. Serotonin is contrast to it, is works opposing that, inducing fatigue and sleepiness. <clears throat> and both dopamine and serotonin are, are formed from essential amino acids in the blood. So that by formulating the, the composition of, <clears throat> excuse me, perform, we're able to optimize the ratio of the dopamine to the serotonin in a way that you feel much more alert and act and uh, uh, ready to go in a workout and it will sustain your focus through a long run. Uh, it also has the amino acids necessary to slow down muscle protein breakdown during an endurance run. It's not the primary, it's not the optimal formulation for muscle, but it still will provide that goal while enabling a mental focus that's not uh, achieved through something like a bread bowl or anything else that's going to have the potential to give you kind of a, a, a big kick, but then a uh, kind of a crash after you take it, because it's a physiological approach to uh, maintaining uh, uh, attention, focus, and uh, excitement about doing your workout. They... Uh, <clears throat> The heel stems from research we did in recovery from uh, major surgery, hip replacement, knee replacement, but also to the fact that that with hard workouts, you really do induce tissue damage that can induce an inflammatory response, which makes the uh, effective repair of that a crucial aspect of training. <clears throat> to improve quality, you uh, you you obviously have to have a, a responsive muscle, but this inflammatory state can actually make the muscle very less responsive to a normal dietary protein. And that's the formulation for HEAL and why it's a great post-exercise uh, beverage 
because it's specifically targeting muscle growth and function uh, in circumstances where there has been some degree of inflammatory response due to injury, whether it be from surgery or, or a hard workout. Yeah, I've certainly um, certainly experienced that. I mean, you know, in, in taking the products, it certainly um, can feel, again, that I can't specifically with Perform, um, lots of days, you know, don't feel like exercising, not particularly enthused about it, but much like yourself, you show up and I do it and I don't tend to think much about it. And, um, but I tell you, it's certainly, you know, I've had some real great, you know, breakthrough sessions when my mood was, uh, was not, not in alignment with how my performance ended up, uh, being. So I can certainly speak to, you know, to, to that being, you know, and, and with no real change, notably in, in, you know, my, you know, again, there's no jitteriness. There's, there's none of these kind of side effects that maybe like a caffeine or something would, would typically induce. So, um, that's, uh, that's, that's helpful to hear. Um, I, I, I am interested in, in your, your current work. I, I know that you are, um, professor of geriatrics, uh, at university of Arkansas and, um, just curious again, you know, if we kind of are moving through the timeline, what's led you, uh, led you there and how is, how is that current work linked to your, you know, your history with, you know, your, your past research and everything we've talked about? Well, you know, you talk about personal, uh, the, the combining personal interests with the research and I'm getting old. So that was, that was, well, I'm 76. So my interest in, uh, uh, improving performance really uh, uh, can be traced to that. It's not hard to figure, but uh, you know, when I went, to the, uh, the the reason that I moved to Arkansas was that they really embraced the notion of developing actual products that would help people. And and the uh, the institution has the, I'm I'm part of a research of an institute. It's the largest geriatric clinic in the country. And one of the things that really struck me was how uh, how, how the education and nutrition education for older people lets them down and they uh, make changes which they think are helping them, but really don't. And we have really, I really focused my efforts on improving health and particularly in heart failure and, and we, but, but in all older people, we did a large clinical study that with the, uh, uh, that took advantage or capitalized on our research demonstrating exactly what the metabolic changes in muscle that occur with aging and designing a, pro, uh, a profile that improved uh, both muscle function in terms of exercise performance, as well as uh, other factors related to control of diabetes and, and, and fatty liver de deposition in older people, even in the absence of exercise. And that was in a large clinical trial with over 90 subjects in which every single subject improved it was given the uh, essential amino acid mixture without even exercising. And uh, that's been a major focus. We still, I think that, that this is such a big uh, step forward that we're, we're working on uh, further experiments to, to fine tune it and for different aspects. But, uh, but it's really been gratifying to see the uh, improvement where some, a lot of individuals that are really having trouble getting out to the mailbox to get the mail in the morning now are able to really uh, perform activities of daily living in a way that uh, has changed their lifestyle. And that's due, that's due entirely to, in, to an increase in the quality of their muscle function? Yes. Uh, they, the, the goal is the target of the... Uh, uh, what happens as you get older is the same nutritional stimulation for improving muscle quality that is effective in younger people is much less effective in older people. So that the research that, that uh, we did demonstrated exactly what the <clears throat> underlying reason for that was, and then targets that as a goal to, uh, to promote muscle protein turnover. And that's really, it's the same exact mechanism that is why a great endurance athlete does uh, intervals, is that you want to increase the muscle turnover, replace the older worn out fibers with new ones. It's the same exact mechanism in, in helping a, 
older person who is having trouble with just performing the activities of daily living to improve their level of fitness to where they really can uh, enjoy their lifestyle much more. So the the question, you know, inevitably that that everyone wants to know, I'm sure, is, you know, are, are there what what are the findings from your current work in the field of geriatrics? Or is there anything that you find can be applied to to those younger generations? What 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 can we be doing now that uh, that can help us in the future? Yeah, I think that the real uh, issue is in the 40 to 50 year old range. And that's actually a, a uh, project, big project that we're embarking on now with both men. And uh, in particular, we're focused now on in developing approaches for uh, women, uh, both pre and postmenopausal, and, affect, and taking into account the metabolic changes that are induced by the hormonal uh, responses that occur during menopause. And uh, so I think that the real key that we haven't yet really tackled completely is this 40 to 50 age range where you really need to start paying attention. I think that there's no doubt that the life formulation, which is the one I'm referring to for specifically targeted, targeting older people, will still be effective in younger people as well. But uh, uh, but I think there's more to come there, that, that we really need to target that 40 to 50 middle age group because uh, it's a whole lot easier to uh, prevent muscle loss than, than, you know, it's like once you're old and you've lost your muscle, it's, the, it's like the, uh, to start at that point, it's like um, closing the barn door after the horse got out, you know, it's just, <laughs> uh, uh, you need to keep your muscle. That's really what the goal is. And, uh, and all of the products will work in, in, in the middle age that we've tested, but, but, the real question is, are there specific responses, and particularly in women and related to menopause, that induce specific metabolic responses? And that, that's one of the beauties of these amino acid formulations is with dietary protein, the amino acids are what they are. You have no way to manipulate those. Whereas with these formulations, we can target the exact profile of each individual amino acid to optimize the metabolic response. And I think that... Uh, so that, that whereas the life formula is good for anybody, really, uh, it's specifically targeting the older people. And I think that we'll, we'll soon have something that's in the same uh, category targeting more uh, specifically for middle age. Mm. So what specifically about that 40 to 50 year range causes, causes them to be the people that we should focus on? What's, what's happening in those well, individuals' yeah, bodies. You start losing, without exercise, you start losing muscle mass when you're in your late 30s, and it's a pretty much progressively straight line down to uh, your 60s. But you still have enough. If you're not doing any kind of exercise, you really don't notice it. You're still functionally, uh, I mean, maybe you're not hitting the golf ball quite as far, but functionally you're not really going to notice it because uh, – you haven't reached that threshold where any of your activities are really adversely affected. So people are letting their muscle, the mass and function go downhill without really recognizing it. And then when they get around 60, it's like, oh boy, I really got to start working out because I've lost a lot of muscle. And, and it really is so much harder to put the muscle back on than to maintain it. But it's just a, a really, you know, people in that age range have a lot of issues. You know, they have families and jobs and uh, careers and and physical fitness tends to go to the back burner. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so focused on nutritional supplements, which are always better used during exercise with exercise. But even in the absence of exercise, a lot of people just don't have the time or inclination to do the exercise. And that's really, uh, well, I don't advocate that. That's still an underlying goal of these uh, formulations is to be able to, particularly the life formulation, to still have a benefit that uh, that helps you maintain your muscles even if you're not doing any kind of specific exercise. Yeah. Has there been, I know this is a very broad question and, and, and it's hard to nail down specifics, but I am curious in your experience and, and obviously that, you know, your medical research Specifically with this age range, the 40 to 50 year age range, is there a recommendation or, or an optimal um, approach when it comes to exercise in terms of 
types of exercise, frequency of exercise that, that these individuals in that range can, can or should implement to begin to, you know, to, to start to set themselves up for success later in life? Yeah, I think that the American College of Sports Medicine has, has laid these things out. But from my experience, uh, it, it really needs to be focused at a more practical level. And that is to find things that you actually don't mind doing. Because mm-hmm. you need to do it consistently for years and years. And if you're following a sort of prescribed program that you really don't like doing, it'll last for a little while. But I mean, just, you know, you just got to look at how many people sign up for gym memberships in early January and, and how many are in the gym in June. You yeah. know, it's just, uh, uh, you need to, and that's why, you know, I'm sure through my uh, 40s and 50s and 60s, I would have done better in some respects in terms of maintaining muscle if I had been doing other things than just running. But I did, but I liked running and I was able to do it. So, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, that's what served me pretty well. And I think that if you like doing something, it's a whole lot easier to incorporate it into your your, uh, routine than if you just don't like doing it. And, And that particularly revolves around the weightlifting. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if, if, I think a lot of people that are endurance athletes really don't like doing weightlifting. And if you're doing it just for the health, uh, it's, it's probably better to skip the weightlifting than to be feeling guilty that you're not doing it or just do it every now and then. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, in the work I do with athletes, I, I certainly couldn't agree more. I, I think the only way, the only equation for sustainability and consistency is that you have to like it. You know, it, yeah. it can't be something that you force yourself to show up to day in and day out, year after year, after year, after year. And to your yeah. point, it's these very long periods of time that matter. You know, it's not 12 yeah. weeks to prepare for a marathon. It's, you know, it's 12 years, it's 20 years and then so on. Um, so yeah, I appreciate your, your insight there. I, I know that that's, you know, there's all kinds of recommendations uh, out there, like you said, um, you know, uh, specifically American uh, College of Medicine. But um, yeah, well, well, Dr. Wolf, I feel like that's a great uh, place to to wrap up our conversation. I, I'm grateful for your expertise and your insight. And um, yeah, it's 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 fantastic, uh, fantastic to talk to you. I appreciate it. Okay, great. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. <laughs>